Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the borrower with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 31 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and of course... Joey Parisi could not be here. Still working on a schedule change going on with the whole Crosstown Crosstalk thing. But Joey will be back soon enough. But while we get ready for the holiday season, I think it's time that, you know, we still talk a little baseball. I know there's a lockout and all that BS that nobody wants to hear about. But we're still going to be talking baseball. Why? Because we love baseball. We want baseball to grow. We want baseball to be the main point of conversation in the sports world as much as it possibly can be. And we're here to do that. So, of course, I'm going to bring on a very special guest right off the bat. And, of course, I'm talking about Bleacher Nation writer slash editor, Michael Cerami. Michael, how are we doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm, I love that intro. I want to keep baseball on the top of everyone's mind, too. Of course. You know, I love all sports, personally. I cover hockey, baseball, and football with a, a little sprinkle of basketball every now and then for fan-sided. And then, of course, my shows that I have here on the Barroom Network. And so... I love it all, but baseball, man, there's just something so great about it, like the summer, going to the ballpark, eating a hot dog. I love all that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. It's definitely my uh, number one sport. I grew up playing a lot of baseball. Uh, it wasn't very good, but had a lot of friends. We played a lot of pickup baseball. Um, earliest sports memories are at Wrigley Field. Whole family is diehard Cubs fans. It's always been baseball for me and nothing else. Um, I, I've since become bigger fans of all the other teams and sports um but baseball is the number one sure i always referred to it as like my first love yeah and then exactly. every other every other sport came after it which i'm okay with that you know there's a whole year to enjoy sports but you're right summer baseball it's just awesome but of course the sport doesn't always love us back and we're dealing <laughs> with that right now and they, they say, how can you not be romantic about baseball? They're not being very romantic right now with this whole lockout. How annoyed are you with what's going on in the world of Major League Baseball specifically? Um, I'm, I'm not so annoyed that there's a divergence in what each side is seeking. Um, I saw a quote recently. I can't remember who originally said it, but Ken Rosenthal shared it. And it was effectively that, you know, the players are not wrong for wanting as much money as they can get. And the owners are not wrong for wanting to not pay people as much as they can because they're running a business too. Um, there needs to be some self-actualization about diminishing the overall product and the harm you're doing to that overall pie by uh, locking the players out and not paying them, you know, uh, 
a fair wage um, or percentage of the overall profits. But I, I do understand why there's a, a lockout going on. I won't be fully annoyed until uh, any spring training games are starting to be missed. Um, and that at that point, it's like, okay, now we got to get this going. This is, you know, pushing into the actual uh, baseball product. And that's when it's a really big problem. But I will just add that the fact that this is the second time in three years because of the COVID season negotiations that fell apart and we missed some games then, it, it, it is a little bit more urgent. It is a little bit more frustrating. Um, it's just that these last two CBAs, the players have gotten absolutely rocked. And, you know, I, I stand by them for wanting to um, push this to the brink and get everything they needed to get and the things that they didn't get in the last two negotiations. So I get it. Absolutely. I love that first point that you made about like there's two sides to every story and then the truth. And that's the same thing when it comes to collective bargaining in sports. And I, I'm also with you that it, it's not the best look for the league. You go on Twitter and every player in the league basically has that stupid picture for their profile of the blank picture. Cause the MLB had to do that on their website. So and the old school fans, they even remember the 94 season just being completely wiped out because mm -hmm. of this stuff. And then, of course, the players strike that happened a little bit after that. So I, I just think it, it's not the best. But, I mean, of course, we have our two teams here in Chicago that, you know, both sides of town love. No, through thick and thin, I think baseball in Chicago is alive and well. And I just hope that it, you know, as a national game continues to grow. But, you know, as far as the Cubs – it was a very interesting season in 2021. And I, I got to ask you right off the bat, going into the trade deadline, did you expect them to trade all three of Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez? Um, no, I, I'll be honest, I didn't. Um, I completely expected Chris Bryant to be traded um, at that point. I just, that was, the writing was on the wall. Um, I didn't even get nervous. The fact that he went last of those three, it was always going to happen. He was going to be traded. Um, I thought I thought Anthony Rizzo was going to be a Chicago Cub for his entire career, uh, minus you know whatever eighty games with the Padres, whatever. Um, so I did not think he was going to get traded. Baez, he was the guy I was like 50-50 on, and I also kind of assumed that if he did get traded, he might be that rare guy that gets traded and comes back to the team in the offseason. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, so I definitely was surprised all three moved, um, just at varying levels of you know, uh, surprise for lack of another word. It's funny you worded it that way, because like you said, out of all three, the one I would have expected to be traded first would have been Bryant. He was last. Mm -hmm. and like when we say last, he was probably the last like big name to be traded at all across mm -hmm. the whole league. It, it was like literally at the deadline. And then the most likely to return bias. He's already, he's the only one of the three that signed with a new team. And now it sounds like the most likely to come back is Bryant even though it probably is less likely that all three come back or that any of them come back. So it, I'm interested to know if you think that even Bryant has a chance to come back. Um, I'd actually probably push back on that. Um, I know that there has been some reports that you can't uh, count the Cubs out on Chris Bryant. As, and, and let me also add that he is good and he would fit. They clearly have a need um, at third base in the outfield, a guy that can play multiple spots. They need power. I mean, Chris Bryant's good. We all know that. But um, there is a uh, there are a couple reports out there specifically mentioning that the one thing Chris Bryant is looking for in any contract is length. Um, it's not as much about total dollars. It's about length. He has a young family, new kids. Um, he had so many trade rumors over the last few years. He's looking to settle down and stay in one place. And the one thing that Jed Hoyer is not anxious to give out this offseason is length. 
Um, he doesn't care about going high on uh, average annual value, like we saw with Marcus Stroman, as long as that term is short. So on top of the player uh, service time grievance and all of the um, sort of bubbling, not bad blood, but bubbling uh, confrontation between the Cubs and Brian over the years, I just don't see him coming back. If anything, Anthony Rizzo is uh, the most likely of those two remaining guys to come back. And his return will basically be predicated entirely on what happens with Freddie Freeman and the Braves um, vis-a-vis the Yankees who also need a first baseman and have been looking at him and have Anthony Rizzo as sort of uh, a backup in mind, depending on if they can get Freeman or not. So Rizzo would be the guy. And, uh, but even that is going to be out of the Cubs control, I think. Interesting. You know, after the trade deadline, you saw some players on the team start to really turn it on. And of course, the first and foremost that comes to mind with that is Frank Schwindel. And then before even the trade deadline, Patrick Wisdom was having an awesome year ahead of breaking Chris Bryant's rookie home run record, Chicago Cubs rookie home run record. Mm-hmm. Between those two players, what do you make of their successful seasons as older rookies? And do you think they'll be with the Cubs for an extended period of time? Yeah, um, I actually, I, there's a lot of fertile ground to talk about there. So one thing I want to talk about when it comes to Patrick Wisdom in particular is that I really think his defense was a bit of an underrated skill. Um, his defense at third, I considered excellent last year, a lot better than I anticipated. Um, I think he could be a plus defender at third base, which does have value. Um, and on a team like the Cubs that is lacking so much power, especially if Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal are going to take so many starts, um, you might be able to put up with someone with a higher strikeout rate because you need that power in your lineup. But I think for wisdom, the overall product is going to be the way that he sticks in the lineup. So he has to keep his defense top notch. Otherwise, the value won't quite be there. Frank Schwindel, <laughs> you know, anyone who watches baseball for any period over five years, longer than five years, knows that there's guys like this that pop up from time to time. It happens every year. It happens with different teams. Um, And it's always hard to decide whether or not it's legitimate. There was some stuff in Schwindel's uh, underlying statistics that pointed to this being sustainable production. Um, But you can't just ignore the entire history of, you know, 4A 30-year-old rookies where it doesn't tend to work out that long. Um, His production was just so elevated for so long that you would like to hope that the league did get an opportunity to adjust and he was able to fight through some of those. But because we didn't actually see him struggle that much and then overcome those struggles in the season, that still seems to be ahead of us. And that could mean that he starts off hot again in 2022. But whenever he hits that first slump and the league starts adjusting to how they attack him at the plate, it's going to be a huge defining moment for the rest of his career because if he can't overcome those, then it'll just be the end of the line of him as a starter. Um, but if he can, then you can give him a longer leash. And I think he'd have to put up an entire above average offensive season um, in 2022 at first base to uh, really count on him for anything else going forward, especially because his defense at first base isn't that strong. And it's also the least important defensive position. Sure. So it'll be interesting to see what their lineup looks like with them next year. Um, Out of all the prospects that the Cubs acquired throughout the trade deadline that we just previously talked about, which one of them is your favorite? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, It's kind of hard to answer. I think the the two that I um, have been thinking about the most lately would be Caleb Killian, uh, who the Cubs got from the Giants. Um, He had a 
short uh, debut with the Cubs in the minor leagues, but then he played in the Arizona Fall League and he capped it off with a perfect game. I think he had like 16 whiffs. It was a perfect game for six innings or whatever the length of the game was. Um, and he just looks like a guy who, after making some changes to his curveball, he's doing that spike grip curveball now that the Cubs love to teach. Um, looks like a guy who may have found some swing and miss and might be able to help the Cubs out really soon. Um, but I have a feeling that it's at least possible that one of the highest upside guys the Cubs got is Pete Crow Armstrong. And I think he was only available because he was injured. And that's, in my opinion, I love targeting those types of players. I know that there's added risk, but the only reason a guy like that is ever going to be available in the first place so soon after he was drafted is because there's some, you know, one specific wart uh, or red flag. In his case, it was that he didn't play this year, you know, because he was hurt. But if the Cubs are able to get him healthy and get him back on track, maybe it's a while before he shows up in the big leagues, but he has a lot of upside. So I think it'd be between those two. One of those is further away, higher upside. Um, the other guy is closer and could contribute as soon as next year, and he would be a pitcher, which Cubs need pitching more than anybody. So, Absolutely. And you brought up Magical and Horner. Do you see them being a part of the core and playing the two middle infield positions for the Cubs for the foreseeable future when they get back to winning again? I I certainly hope that neither – well, Nick Magical is definitely not going to be a shortstop. I certainly hope Nico Horner isn't the Cubs shortstop. Um, I like Nico Horner a lot. I think he has a lot of value on this team. I think he's a Gold Glove-nominated second baseman already and can be really special on defense there. I think he's fine at shortstop. Um, I think he's would be even better in a role where he moves around as maybe the primary backup at shortstop, plays second – pushes Madrigal to DH from time to time. Um, but all of that is, you know, uh, predicated on the Cubs actually going out and getting a shortstop. And if they can't do that, then you're stuck with a less than stellar defensive uh, arrangement up the middle for a team that has three of the highest ground ball rate pitchers in their starting rotation already. And I don't see that as a really good recipe for success. Um, so no, I don't see them both being up the middle players. I'm hoping that one of them is, uh, or, or that Nico moves around, Nick Madrigal moves between second base and DH, and they sort of just make it work from there. But yeah, they're going to need a shortstop, uh, whether it's someone big or just someone uh, that they pick up on the scrap heap. It's got to be someone with a good glove. Yeah, that makes sense. And speaking of a good glove, at least a good arm, depending on you know what metrics you use. Some people like them, some people don't, but it's Wilson Contreras. He seems to want to stay with the Chicago Cubs. But, of course, he has one year left on his deal. He's basically one year behind where Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez were at this point last year. And the Cubs signed Jan Gomes earlier in the offseason, and that suggested that, hey, we don't know if Wilson Contreras is going to be here by July 31st. Do you think he gets traded? Well, there was the report uh, earlier in the offseason that if the Cubs couldn't agree to an extension with Wilson Contreras, they're going to trade him, right? And they go get Jan Gomes, who was the best remaining available catcher, and they pay him more than a backup catcher salary. Um, but it's at least possible, especially now that they signed Marcus Stroman, that, um, that you know, trade or extend uh, either or is, is less of a black and white uh, decision than it was before. I think the Cubs might be losing some value by not filing in one way or the other, but I think the Jan Gomes signing could be as much about maximizing the productivity of Wilson Contreras precisely because he's such a good borderline starting catcher that you can rest Contreras more often, including using the designated hitter role if it comes to the NL, um, and get more out of him. And maybe in that respect, 
that makes an extension a little bit more tenable for the Cubs perspective because they say, okay, now we got a guy in place that can rest Contreras, that can keep him healthy, keep his bat uh, in the lineup where they know he can be well above average, not just for a catcher, but for a regular position player of any kind. And so that could lead to an extension. So I think he's going to stick around. They got Stroman. There's no way you go and get Stroman on a deal where he could be gone after two years. If you're going to turn around and trade Contreras, uh, there's nobody else in the in the system that can immediately step up besides Gomes now. And I don't think it would be worth making that series of moves in that way. So keep Contreras, try to extend him. He has a little bit more leverage now, in my opinion, knowing that uh, they have Stroman in place, but you just got to do what you got to do. They didn't extend anybody else. Their payroll's very low now and looking ahead. So I think he's going to stick around and I hope he does. He's one of my favorite Cubs. It certainly doesn't seem like the Cubs are trying to bottom out and be a 100-loss team to start from the beginning like the Astros did in 2011 or the White Sox did in 2016 or even the Cubs did in 2012. It just doesn't seem like they're trying to quite do that right now. And keeping Wilson Contreras would suggest that. It sounds to me like you agree with me in saying you would keep him around if you could. Yeah, and there was a chance. There was a time before the end of the 2021 season where you could say maybe the Cubs really are going to try to bottom out next year. As soon as they picked up Wade Miley, signed Gomes, signed Frazier, um, and signed Marcus Stroman, that, that's not what's happening. You don't sign Marcus Stroman, pay him $25 million a year to lose 100 games. That doesn't mean they're going to be really good um, or even <laughs> contending, but they're not They're not trying to bottom out. Um, they wouldn't have done it the way that they did. Um, they would have used this opportunity to say, hey, look, we have all these young pitchers. We're going to give them all a shot in the rotation um, and just see what happens. And they could have hid behind that as an excuse to lose 100 games, but they didn't. They pushed two of them back um, with Miley and Stroman, and I still think they're going to add another starter from here. So, yeah, keep Wilson Contreras and just see if you could surprise contend in 2022. And if at the trade deadline it doesn't quite look like it's coming together – Maybe you do another sell-off with whatever pieces you have remaining, particularly out of the bullpen, and you just hope for the best again next offseason, and you go back into 2023 with some of your prospects a little closer to the big leagues. Yeah, sure. It, it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. You're not signing Stroman to eat innings. He's not like signing James Shields later in his career or mm-hmm. you know pick, picking up someone who's bottoming out their career just to eat some innings while other guys are coming up. Marcus Stroman, you signed him to a three-year deal. You're trying to win, but you did bring up Clint Frazier and, you know, the New York Yankees, they didn't necessarily use him the right way. It didn't seem like, and, you know, he came over there from in the Andrew Miller trade, but it he never really seemed to reach that potential with New York. But I think there's a chance that coming over to the Cubs, they could unlock something there without the pressures of playing for the Yankees or even a necessarily a contending team. I know you said they could yeah. surprise contend. They certainly can, but it might depend on like if Frazier really you know, hits the ground running with the Cubs or if Stroman is awesome. But like the Frazier signing was interesting to me. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, it's a no brainer. It's kind of like the Pete Crow Armstrong argument, um, but at a a higher level in his career. Um, If you can get anybody that was a top prospect that does have that pedigree, that does have one of those unique tools for Frazier, it's power, then you go out and get them and you just try to make it work. I'm not saying this is the same thing, but look what happened with Kyle Schwarber last year. He was up and down with the Cubs. I was a firm believer in him. I wanted the Cubs to keep him. They should have kept him. But I understood at the time 
coming off the COVID uh, crunched budgets of 2020, the Cubs made a decision to non-tender him. He picks up uh, with the Nationals and between the Nationals and Red Sox had an absolutely monster season uh, almost all the way throughout and aside from the injury. And, you know, I'm hoping Clint Frazier can follow sort of a similar path. He's a guy that everybody agrees has the skills. He just hasn't put it together yet. So we've seen that happen um, a million times. Uh, Jake Arrieta is another example when the Cubs first acquired him uh, in 2013 and 14 was his first year. You go and get guys that were top prospects, that were guys with loud tools, and then you just get them in a new setting in front of new coaches, maybe with a renewed sense of urgency to make sure their career works. And suddenly something clicks and you get a stretch run of uh, a guy that you can really use. And Frazier is young enough and talented enough, and the Cubs have a good enough, um, more recent track record of developing players at the big league level that I think that there's really reason to be optimistic. I mean, it's a no-risk move with plenty of upside. I, I loved that deal. I thought it was a great idea. Sure, I agree. If you add six, seven, eight of those guys and you hit on two of them, that's that's a great clip and it's a great way to help build your team. And you brought up Arietta. I think that's a great example. Yep, bingo. So we had Brennan Davis on this podcast over the summer. It was one of the most fun I've ever had doing an interview because he was just so nice and he was so thoughtful with his answers. And you just know that he has like superstar potential, whether he reaches that potential is up to him. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome year in the minor leagues. But you know, we're expecting to see him come up to the big leagues at some point. Do you expect him to make an impact in 2022? And if yes or no, what do you expect his impact to be at the major league level at any point in his future? The Brennan Davis, um, the Cubs have a ton of interesting prospects uh, with plenty of upside, but almost all of them are far away uh, from the majors. Brennan Davis should be up with the Cubs this season. I imagine in the second half of the year, you know, could be sooner than that, depending on what's going on with the team and the positional needs. But I think he will be up with the Cubs. And I also think that a lot of top prospects uh, have a lot of immediate success because um, the league, not unlike Frank Schwindel, but at the age of 30, um, the league tends not to know how to attack them right away. I mean, the books on guys has been growing exponentially and with additional video and heightened scouting, um, there is ways to attack prospects a little bit more effectively earlier in the career, but they tend to have good debuts. And then once they go through that period of adjustment is when you really find out who they're going to be. Um, I think Brennan Davis is as good of a prospect as the Cubs have had in six years since the um, era of, you know, Baez and Bryant and those guys coming out. He's not quite one of the top five, like Baez, Russell, uh, Bryant were, but he's unanimously top 15, borderline top 10 in baseball. Um, he plays premium defensive position. He hits for a ton of power. He projects to hit for average. He has a good arm. Um, I think he'll start in center. He'll probably eventually move to right field in his career. But you couldn't ask for a better player on the field. And I've had a chance to, you know, get to talk with him a couple times. And like you said, off the field, he's as good of a guy as you could possibly hope for. So if he has even a little bit of success which I do think he will, and I think it'll be as soon as this season. I think he's going to be a fan favorite in Chicago like right away. I think people are going to absolutely love Brennan Davis. Uh, very excited that the Cubs have him. They could use a lot more guys like him, but he could be the sort of the nucleus of the next wave of Cubs players and the next good Cubs team. Absolutely, and like like you said, I hope he makes it really bad. He's just an interesting guy. I could see him going out to – 
Wrigley Field and being one of those guys who runs out to the off field and he gets those bleachers going. And, you know, it just oh, has yeah. some fun with it and plays well. But you brought up, like, scouting and how advanced it is lately. And so I always am more intrigued when players come up and have success right away because I think even fans – sitting at home, know more now about prospects with all the information that's out there via social media and Baseball America and guys like me and you talking about them on our shows and whatnot. I just think, you know, if they get to the major leagues and have success, I think it means a little more now than it ever has for that reason. Yeah, and, you know, the league has been skewing towards younger players recently uh, as they've sort of realized, unfortunately, 50%, those players are cheaper. And 50%, they're more productive younger in their careers than we ever realized. And as the sort of unwritten rules of paying your dues and then getting rewarded for it, whether you deserve it or not, sort of melt away, um, these younger guys are getting a shot. And we're learning that, hey, these guys are fun and they're they're good and they're more exciting to watch. Um, so all of that combined, combined with the fact that you could go follow Brennan Davis on Instagram or Twitter and he'll tweet about what he's doing that day. You could watch him take batting practice. I mean, this level of access from the outside is unparalleled. And internally, we know that the Cubs uh, have, and I'm sure lots of teams, that I, I just will speak for the Cubs. I know that they have more advanced systems than they ever had before of being able to watch each individual pitch from every individual at bat, from every game, for any player. And uh, that allows the front office to really zero in on things that they're uh, looking for or looking to develop as opposed to relying on your scouts and coaches and, um, you know, managers at the various minor league levels and the communication between those le uh, levels. So, you know, uh, basically internally and externally, there is more access than ever before. And there's more uh, available plate appearances for all these guys in the big leagues. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. And I think it's good that the game is skewing younger especially for a fan base that gets one year older on average every year. Absolutely. That makes sense. You brought up the Marcus Stroman signing. It's a great pitcher to add to a rotation that was kind of bleak last year, but you had a guy like Wade Miley. So you got Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, Kyle Hendricks, Albert Alzali. I'm curious to know what you think of that as a rotation. And I'm also wondering who you project to be the number five. So I wouldn't, I almost wouldn't phrase it that way. I, I would actually zero that into the top three, uh, Hendricks, Miley, and Stroman, not in that order. It doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, and I think that those three are really excellent. Uh, they're not the power pitchers that the Cubs said that they were going to go out and get. They're the exact opposite. Um, those three have below average strikeout rates and below average fastballs, um, varying levels, but all below average. But those three are also excellent at getting ground balls and excellent at getting uh, inducing weak contact. I have an article coming out on this this week, actually. Um, not just like pretty good, like among the best for their entire careers. So the Cubs certainly added guys with a specific skill set. And on top of that, all three of them have been among the healthiest pitchers. I mean, there's each of them has not really Hendricks, but Miley and Stroman have had times where they've been injured or out, but they each have like three or four seasons of. 32 or more starts and five or six of 30 or more starts. And in the modern MLB, that's just extremely rare. So I think we're going to get a ton more innings out of those three uh, than ever before. And um, their ground ball tendencies is exactly why the Cubs really do need to improve their infield defense. But that said, after those three spots, I see sort of a mix of Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Albert Elzelay, um, and Alec Mills. And then 
possibly Caleb Killian, but maybe later in the year, let him start in the minors and work his way up. Uh, of those five, um, I'm also hoping in the meantime that the Cubs do are able to add at least one pitcher that can throw above 95 miles an hour, whether it's a flyer um, on an unknown guy or someone like Carlos Rodon, but they do need to add someone. Um, but those four guys, uh, I think Adbert Alzale, I think you were right to list him first because I think he has the best opportunity to be someone that contributes right away and right out of the rotation. But, you know, Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson uh, have a lot of upside. They also can work pretty well out of the bullpen. And Alec Mills, you hate to keep taking him out of the rotation. I mean, this is a guy that was nominated for a gold glove two years ago and threw a new no-hitter. Had a, lot, a sustained stretch of success in the rotation this year. Um, but he works so effectively as that swing guy who ends up getting 10 to 15 starts a year anyway. I think you just start him in the bullpen and just leave him as that guy and and work through the other three primarily. Um, so I would guess that Steele and Azalei have the best shot early on to win those spots. But I think Killian will come, and I think the Cubs need to add another starter. And I think Mills and Thompson will get an opportunity. So they have a lot of options now. Adding two starting pitchers was huge. The Cubs have pretty solid depth. They just need to diversify uh, a little bit because out of all of those pitchers I just named, only Elzelai throws over 94 miles an hour, and it's 2022. So you got to throw a little harder than that um, if you want to keep every lineup off balance. Absolutely. It sounds like you – so you think they need one more starter. So, And my next question was going to be, if it were up to you, what realistic moves would you make in order to help improve the Cubs' chances of at least being a respectable baseball team in 2022? I know there's a really good power pitcher out there right now that was on the other side of town but he's got some some arm issues of course I'm talking about Carlos Rodon and you know he's great when he's healthy he's awesome he was a third overall pick for a reason and going into last season he kind of fit that mold about what you talked with Clint Frazier about how like oh he had high pedigree for a long time he was injured he was inconsistent there was the Chris Sale stuff the team rebuilt it was hard environment to pitch it until it wasn't and then when it wasn't you saw his true talent so now Going into free agency, he's got some risk with the injuries, but you saw how good he can be, and I think he'd be a great fit in that rotation. No doubt about it. The Cubs had interest in signing uh, Rodon last year before they ended up going with Jake Arrieta, which was not the right way to go. Um, it seemed smarter at the time. <laughs> yeah, it seemed fine at the time. Uh, they were interested, though, and I think that was warranted. Um, his arm issues and the drop in velocity at the end of the year definitely scare me, but it seems likely that there, well, no, it doesn't seem like it, it is true that there's not a higher upside power pitcher the Cubs can add at this point in the offseason than Carlos Rodon. So I do think he would be the right type of person to get. Um, however, I think the way that the Cubs make themselves better with just one addition would be a premium defensive shortstop. They have three guys that will get so many ground balls. If you do not have a you know vacuum at shortstop and second base, uh, there's going to be a lot of problems and there's going to be a lot of balls in play that turn into hits that probably wouldn't with someone else there. And the Cubs are so used to having really high quality defense because of Javi Baez uh, at short. And then they had Nico at second for a couple years. And Anthony Rizzo is a multiple gold glove winner at first. And all of that has gone away now and they have more ground ball pitchers than ever. So they really need to focus on adding a glove a high, I was going to say glove first, but I hope he's not glove first shorts. I just hope he's a really good defensive shortstop who also can maybe add some something at the plate. 
Are the Mets the scariest National League rival right now? Not even necessarily just based on roster, but roster combined with an owner who's willing to spend a billion dollars to make his team better. And if you don't think they are, who do you think? Um, I think the Mets are the, the scariest team to go up against in a sweepstakes for a particular free agent because I think that they'll go way over the top, sometimes for no reason. Um, or because they need to to get people to sign there after a tumultuous couple of years in the front office. Um, I think that there's still no parallel to the Dodgers. They have just as many resources, but they have a much smarter person running their uh, front office than Andrew Friedman, and they have a excellent minor league development path. Um, I know I even wrote up an article about um, – when the Cubs not, uh, non-tendered Michael Hermosillo, uh, he was a free agent for a day. Andrew Friedman, Friedman personally called him and tried to sway him to come to the Dodgers. And we're talking about a guy who's going to come there on a minor league deal. That's how involved Andrew Friedman is and how smart he is and how important he knows it is to get even the margins of your roster correct. And that interest is what pushed the Cubs to offer Hermosillo a big league deal. So I, I think that the Dodgers are still the team. When you look at everything from ownership and dollars available to uh, front office to development of prospects, they're, there's, they're the top of the, the stack, um, and I don't think it's particularly close with the Mets. Do you think it's fair to call them a mix, the Dodgers I'm talking about, a mix of the Rays and the Yankees? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so put it this way. They have the guy that used to run the Rays, and they have the money of the Yankees. So, exactly. Yes. That's Perfect. always been my comparison. People, you know, they get so angry at the Dodgers for making trades for Mookie Betts and Max Scherzer and, you know, guys like that. It's like, okay, well, they had the prospects, though, that they developed in order to make big trades like that. They don't always go out in free agency and just sign everyone they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Trevor Bauer is kind of the exception. And uh, look how well that worked out for them. So really, yep, nope, it's like no it, it, they're, they're the smart, rich team. They're not just the rich team. They're not just the smart team. And that's why I think they've been so good for so long. But when I look at the National League Central, I see the Cubs as like one of the middle teams kind of right there with the Reds until they made some of these offseason moves to add a guy like Stroman and Wade Miley. So now if you add one more pitcher, the rotation's looking okay. If Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom can at least hit 80% of what they did last year, it could be a pretty powerful lineup. We'll see what Nick Magical is able to do and wherever David Ross decides to place him in the lineup. But I don't see the Brewers or the Cardinals as these, like, big, scary teams in the long term. Of course, the Brewers have that rotation, and can Burns and um, Woodruff repeat what they did last year? Can the Cardinals get the same production out of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt at the corner infield? I mean, they're, they're, they're good teams. There's no doubt about the fact that they're good teams. But I think the Cubs are probably closer to them than some people may believe. Yeah, um, I have I, – I have both sides of that argument. So for the Brewers, at least for what people forget is that their offense is actually worse than the Cubs offense last year, mm-hmm. um, full season included, even after the trades, they had a really rough offense. Obviously the rotation is as good as it gets. Um, and uh, we know that they're already in over their head financially. That's why they are making some of the deals that they have sending prospects along with Jackie Bradley jr. To back to the Red Sox. Um, they have Christian Yelich on a monster deal that starts, I think, this year. And he had a terrible uh, season. And in 2020, was a bad season. Um, I think, though, that I'm done underestimating the Brewers because pretty much every year for the last five years, I've been like, nah, they don't have that. And, and every year, the sum is uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts for them. I don't know how they do it. 
Um, but that's another really well-run front office. Um, and they just managed to – they get a lot of buy-in from their pitchers, especially to sort of mix and match. Um, and with that rotation, really anything is possible. That's how good of a rotation it is. The Cardinals, I don't know. I don't really buy – I think going on a 17-game winning streak, whatever it ended up being um, – is a little fluky. I don't think that that was like a true, that's not a true talent winning streak. Um, and I think that that played out in the playoffs. I'm not particularly concerned about them. Um, they are probably though, I mean, not probably, they are a better team on paper than the Cubs are right now. And so are the Brewers, but the Cubs are not done this off season. Um, I think that they have another big signing or two in them. I think that we're overlooking the possibility that a major trade can still happen. I think that that's at least plausible if it's for the right guy, a young guy, a guy with upside and remaining years of control, that can happen. Um, so, you know, I want to revisit that in the spring, you know, uh, and see where we are because right now the Cardinals and Brewers are better, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to stay that way. Absolutely. Now, before I let you go, I got to ask you about the beloved really quick. Justin Fields make, making some strides so far this season. We all know what's going to happen eventually with Matt Nagy and potentially the coaching staff. I mean, we'll see what happens with all of that. But the an team's, extension, right? Yeah, hope hopefully, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're four and nine, but you know they have the quarterback in place. He's shown his flashes, but you know I think developing him needs to be the most important thing for the organization going into the off season. But I mean, what do you make of this season as a whole, other than making you want to throw up? Okay, here's here's my perspective that I'm I'm I think maybe I'm only able to do this because now that I cover these teams professionally, your fandom is can be a little bit higher level um, looking longer term. Justin Fields is so obviously a guy to me that I have a hard time even caring that much about the product on the field right now. Um, the cut, the bear, the bears just need to get rid of Matt Nagy, probably Ryan Pace also. Um, and if they can keep Justin Fields and protect him from getting destroyed, then the next, what, 10, 15 years as a bears fan could be fun. I mean, I'm looking ahead such longer term now that the league is so interested in protecting these quarterbacks, they're playing much longer throughout their careers. I mean, we have never had a quarterback like this. And I, and he, the quarterback position is so fundamentally important that I just am so blinded by my joy of having Justin Fields that they could be 0-13 and, and it wouldn't bother me right now. The future is going to be around him and it should be around him for a decade, you know? So like starting from there, I, everything else is kind of meaningless. They need to get some offensive line help. They might need to rework some of the secondary, you know, all that stuff is fine. Um, and doable and fixable. Uh, the hardest part is getting a guy like Fields, and they got one. So I'm I'm happy uh, about where the Bears project to be in the future and uh, for a long time, hopefully. For sure. You know, that's a breath of fresh air because most of the chatter is negative and all that. I'm, sh I'm sure you know. And I the only thing I worry about is the development of Justin Fields to getting him to take that next step by having him in bad offenses and with improper coaches and improper weapons and that, because we saw it with Jay Cutler. I was always of the opinion that Jay Cutler was extremely talented and the bears always kind of set him up for failure, even though he didn't always show, 
you know, the greatest leadership or whatever may have you. But Mitchell Trubisky, same thing. He didn't have the greatest arm, but he was athletic and mobile, and they never used him to his full strength. And then, you know, seeing it with Justin Fields, it's like I just hope that doesn't happen again. And then I look at the division, right? Detroit always stinks. And, you know, they've, they've made a couple good draft picks, and they've lost almost every one of their games this season by one score or less. So, you know, they're probably not the worst team in the league, even though the record might say they are. The Vikings are always kind of middle of the pack. We have a really good mm-hmm. defense. Kirk Cousins don't turn the ball over. He's having a pretty good year this year. And then you never know what happens with Aaron Rodgers and his future with the Green Bay Packers. So the division feels like it's there for the taking. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I want to be as optimistic as you. Yeah, I mean, listen, everything I said requires the Bears to move on from Matt Nagy. I mean, it, it is – it needs to – not. it's not a joke, you know, it's – that is a fundamental part of what needs to come next because I agree with you. Um, but I do think that just getting that quarterback position right and the trajectory of the other teams in the league, I'm just, I refuse to be afraid of the lions ever. Um, and the Packers, I mean, listen, we all see what Tom Brady can do. Is Aaron Rodgers going to keep playing at this level for six more years? I don't, I don't know. I Maybe not. And if that's the case, maybe that uh, the best quarterback on any team will be Justin Fields. And as we've seen, that can take you a pretty long way. So get rid of Nagy, get someone that can help uh, unlock Fields' full potential, and then just hope the rest of the division uh, remains true to themselves outside of uh, Green Bay, um, where they cannot possibly get lucky with a third two-decade-long quarterback run. I, I sure hope not. I sure hope not. So – Michael Cerami, thank you so much for coming on. We can't thank you enough. I want you to give the the crowd watching, promote yourself a little bit, tell them where they can find you, where you can, they can read your awesome stuff, Cubs, Bears, Bulls, let them know. Yeah, so you can uh, read uh, my stuff at Bleacher Nation. Um, we cover the Cubs, Bears, and Bulls, and we also recently added the Blackhawks. Um, I'm not doing a lot of Blackhawks writing because I'm not super well-equipped to handle it, but we have some really smart people some really big Blackhawks fans covering it. Everything else I'm writing about there. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Cerami uh, or on TikTok at Michael underscore Cerami, where I make a bunch of Cubs TikToks because it's silly and fun. And I'm trying to recapture the joy of my youth um, by pretending to be a kid. So follow me there. Very good. Keep promoting baseball. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're a great follow. I think you know, everything you do is awesome and I'm a big fan of yours. So thank you so much for coming on and, you know, hopefully we can have you back again sometime soon. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. So everybody, everybody follow Michael Cerami on Twitter and we would like to send you to a quick commercial break. Ravens luckily weren't doing much in terms of what they were, you know, offensively. They only had three points uh, at, at up to that point, so it's it wasn't like they were, they were getting, you know, kind of running away with the football game. So the Bears could have still stayed patient, could have still, you know, kind of you know used the running game to go ahead and get downfield again. But again, it was just helter skelter and and just you know like some some plays would work, some plays wouldn't work, and then it was like three and out and. It was just it was just an ugly game. I think you tweeted out that this was one of the uglier games at halftime, and oh. I just felt like that. I just felt like 
you know, the, the Bears were letting this undermanned team, you know, at on you know on the road feel like you know they, they have a chance to win this game and pull it out. And, and sure enough, you know, uh, the Ravens showed why they, you know, John Harbaugh is one of the better NFL coaches, you know, in in the in the NFL. Comes into to a opposing. Um, uh, you know, opponent's home uh, stadium, you know, a, a game that the, the team must win and comes down, squeaks out a, a victory with a, you know, backup quarterback and, and him missing, you know, a, a couple of starters on offense as well. So, you know, that, that just tells you to me right there, that shows that coaching is is very important in this league. Indeed. And uh, 4,000 Clovers asked for it, so he's going to get it. Here it is. Get your shit together. Get it all together and put it in a backpack. All your shit. So it's together. And if you got to take it somewhere, take it somewhere, you know? Take it to the shit store and sell it. Or put it in a shit museum. I don't care what you do. You just got to get it together. I think I'm going to update that cartoon and add Ryan, Ryan Pace. Pace. <laughs> Who else should I add? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, people want, I'm sure I want Ted Phillips in there, but I'm not sure how much of an of a influence he has on football operations. <laughs> And of course, we would like to welcome, or not welcome, we already welcomed him. We would like to thank Michael Cerami for coming on the show. It was great to have him on. Honestly, I love talking baseball over the winter. It's it's cold, it's it's rainy, it's windy. Not, we don't want to deal with any of that stuff. We want to sit inside, we want to drink beers, we want to eat some chicken wings, we want to talk about baseball. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, I truly hope to have him again sometime soon. Um, there really isn't much going on across the baseball world right now. I just wanted to get a couple things out of the way. Before we, you know, call it for the week, um, Justin Verlander signed his contract with the Houston Astros. And of course, it's officially official now. I know there's a lockout, but there was some language that the teams didn't have sorted out. So the league allowed them to complete the two years, $50 million contract with the Houston Astros and Justin Verlander in between. So glad that that's taken care of. And, you know, tonight you're going to see a pretty big football game. And I know this is the baseball show. But, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Los Angeles Chargers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm very excited for this football game. I mean, this could really, really insert the Los Angeles Chargers into the upper echelon of the AFC if you don't have them there already. And if they lose barely to the Kansas City Chiefs in a really, really good tight game, then I think you'll look at both of these teams as outstanding performers in the AFC for the 2021 season. And, you know, each of them has a really good quarterback. I would say, of course, Patrick Mahomes is, but then you add Justin Herbert and you have two top 10 quarterbacks in the national football league. There are people that might even say top five. I mean, Justin Herbert is awesome. And so I'm really excited about that. I hope everybody enjoys the game. And of course the big main event of the day, we talked about it at length yesterday on bar down talking hockey. And I highly, highly recommend that people go back and take a listen to me, Joey, and Frankie's discussion of Spider-Man No Way Home. It's the movie that premieres tonight across, you know, the public view. And I'm very excited to see people's reactions to it. I will be seeing it tonight at 930. And I will remind you again, I said it yesterday, don't spoil the movie. Don't talk about it. Don't do anything while you're in the movie theater. Wait till you get to your car. Because you know what? Those employees that work their ass off to serve you popcorn and to serve me candy and soda and popcorn like I'm going to indulge in tonight, those employees don't want to hear the spoilers. They don't want to know what happens at the end of the movie. So be quiet. Don't do that. Nobody wants to hear it. So going to address some of these comments here. 
Um, you know, we got King Pookie Nation. Oh, well, we'll start with baseball toss. But will Carlo Rose Rodon be back with the White Sox? My initial reaction is no. I think he has a better chance of going to the Cubs, as I talked about with Michael Cerami earlier in the, the show. I really hope that doesn't happen because I it wouldn't – it's not even necessarily like Cubs love or Cubs hate to say that I don't want him to play for the Cubs because he is a White Sox player to me. All I've known Carlos Rodon is in that White Sox jersey, so I hope they do find a way to bring him back because one of the White Sox's major, major strengths, as opposed to what we talked about as a weakness for the Cubs, is power pitching. Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, um, Michael Kopech, Liam Hendricks, um, Lance Lynn. All of these guys are power pitchers. They all throw the baseball extremely hard, 96 miles per hour or faster. And, you know, they get lots of strikeouts. It's a hard, hard team to hit against. And I just think, like, it really can't be that type of, you know, move to – get rid of a guy like Carlos Rodon without at least trying to get him because he also throws that hard. And I'm not worried about the arm soreness. It's his full time ever pitching well for a full season. So hopefully they're able to figure something out like that. Or you know what, if Carlos Rodon moves on to a team like the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Yankees, they figure out a way to get him a lot of money because he deserves it. He's battled back. He never gave up. And of course, I always appreciate that. And I will love Carlos Rodon forever. So I hope it's with the White Sox. I'm leaning towards no to address your question, but I hope I'm wrong. And then of course, King Pookie Nation, reading some of these comments of yours about watching Spider-Man, seeing the 3 p.m. show, streaming the, the football game. Man, enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to hear you know, tweet at me, send me DMs on Twitter. Let me know what you think of the movie. I'm very excited for it. I'll be seeing it tonight. I'm going to go off social media not long after this show ends just so I can, like, avoid all spoilers. And make sure you block LaShawn McCoy because he spoiled Endgame for everyone. Um, block him and then unblock him after you watch the movie. That's just like an inside joke between me and my friends. But I'm very excited for this stuff. Um, I appreciate the great analysis on the Cubs from Michael Cerami. I'm very happy to have him as a guest on our show. And – I'm not sure about the the next week plan for this show. Of course, we got Christmas and you know Christmas Eve, Christmas Day coming up. Not it's very holiday orientated over the next two weeks. So make sure you're following the Barroom Network on Twitter to make sure you keep up with all the updates on this show, yesterday's Barroom Show, all the great shows on the Barroom Network. You could check out things like the Mike North Advantage and Buffon Fifty Five, where yesterday they gave some outstanding Bears analysis, and you know they got the upcoming game against the Minnesota Vikings. They'll be covering it all weekend long fantasy football goon great 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 shows the bulls guys are just on fire with this team everybody's seeing so much red and i love to be a part of it and then of course we'll be back with bar down talking hockey next wednesday at 2 p.m as well so talking hockey talking baseball talking all that so hopefully everything goes well for you over this weekend make sure you see the movie safely i know Things aren't as fun right now with all the COVID-19 stuff that people are dealing with in sports and in life. It's, it feels like it's somewhat back again. So, you know, hopefully everybody stays safe and healthy and, you know, still able to have some fun as well during this holiday season. And with that, I leave you and make sure you tweet at me at Vinny Parisi on Twitter. Thank you for listening.